When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this. It might surprise you that we're top 10 for immersive art that's like... Whoa. And... Not to mention, we have one of the top zoos in the country. So can a city with the country's best pro soccer team, ranking as a top culinary destination in the world, be in your own backyard? Yes, Columbus. Plan your summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash summer. It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it, because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. He's Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes and multiple ways you'd interact with us here on the program. You give us a ring, 201-939-4513. Can't get to the phone, not a problem. Use hashtag GiantsChat on Twitter. And as a reminder, you can find the archive of the show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere and at Giants.com slash podcast. So we'll set the stage for Sunday's matchup against the Panthers, get into some of the latest injury news. Paul was busy trying to set the Guinness World Record for the most laps around the Quest Diagnostic Center. So you know, apologies <laughs> that we did not start exactly on time as we had anticipated. Yeah, yes. I, I owe the listeners an apology. I I had forgotten that we were starting at 1230 today. I, I, I was out of practice I watched the first few minutes of the individual drills. I saw Kadarius Tony out there in full gear uh, participating in the receivers' drills with Galladay and Shepard. And I saw uh, Thibodeau and Ojolari uh, off to the side while they were doing special teams in the middle of the field. They were off to the side working on some pass rush drills. So that's a health update. And I think it was actually worth a couple of minutes that I came in the building late because it was kind of important to see those guys doing some stuff. The ultimate sacrifice for Big Blue Kickoff Live. We can't tell you how much we certainly appreciate You're your very due diligence. Welcome. Yes, no, no problem. I just I wanted to speak on behalf of everybody involved in this program. But in all seriousness, Brian Dable did speak to the media earlier today. He said Thibodeau's making progress. He's still classifying him as day to day. Even Thibodeau has pretty much adopted that jargon. Yes. So everybody's pretty much in tune, but the bottom line is he's out there at least doing something on a daily basis. And I'm sure in all likelihood, Paul, it probably will come down to the wire regardless of what his classification is today once they release the injury report. It does seem to me like it's going to be a game-time decision for both guys. I mean, when Thibodeau spoke yesterday, he flat-out told the reporters, uh, we're going to have to see what happens on Friday and Saturday. I mean, he was could not have been more upfront yeah. about it. And remember, Saturday's only a walkthrough. But nonetheless, it's another day of the healing process and whatever treatment that he's undergoing for that knee. We have seen him out of practice doing limited things with a brace on that knee. And he simply said, yeah, you know, I'm not used to that. It's a little bit, little bit odd, but, you know, it's what we've got to do to, to, get, to get back to full strength. So, look, the bottom line is the Giants would be foolish to risk a long-term injury for their first-round draft pick, who is going to be a significant part of not only this year, but their future. And the other thing that he brought up on a related note, somebody had asked him a question about where would he put himself percentage-wise, right, on a health meter, and he didn't want to give a number, which I don't think you win anything by giving a number, no. but he made an important point, point. I think this is understand with any coaches, they think this way, 
if you're going to put a player out there, you're not putting a player out there so you could play them for five snaps. If they're going to get a jersey on game day, then to me that means they have the green light. You could put them out there. I'm not saying that you're going to play him maybe the whole game, but this idea that you would dress him just so that maybe you could play him for a few plays here or there is completely pointless. And that's what I think the point Thibodeau was making clear. He goes, if I'm getting a jersey on Sunday, that means that the training staff, the medical people, they have given me the thumbs up that I'm safe to be back on the field. Well, Dable actually this morning addressed that very same question, and he said, look, once the trainers say the guy can play, and if he feels comfortable enough that he can protect himself and play safely, he said it's absolutely possible that as a staff we discuss things and decide to limit his role. Uh, he wasn't talking about you know five snaps or anything of, of, of that small nature, but for example, we've all known uh, Lance situations where guys were dinged up and maybe they only became a third down specialist, whether it be a receiver or a pass rusher or a nickelback, you know, where it just fits within the natural substitution equation that he would be one of the guys who doesn't play the whole game but gets a lesser load as part of sub packages. That's not out of the ordinary. It's something that's happened in this league for a number of years. And coach coach admitted that that is certainly a possibility. Well, my point, though, is whatever he plays, let's say hypothetically speaking, that he does get in, you're not going to put a player out there unless you feel he can go full speed or be effective within the framework of your defense. You don't put out yeah. a player if you think he's going to be a liability even if you utilize him as a third mm-hmm. down specialist. I guess that's where I was coming from. He, that he, you're not going to give a guy a green light if he's going to put himself or the defense in a precarious spot. I think the best way to kind of describe it from a coach's perspective, he's got to be able to be functional in the role that you've carved out for him that exactly. particular weekend. 100%. And that goes for Thibodeau as well as Ojolari. Now, the other guy that popped up on the injury report yesterday was Kadarius Tony who was limited. Dable mentioned that his hamstring tightened up, but he did take part in some team drills. So we know Tony has dealt with his fair share of injuries throughout the course of his short tenure thus far with the Giants. But that's more of a reason why you don't want to overdo it for somebody like him because he has been in a position, Paul, where he's gone out there in games, he started games, but he hasn't been able to finish. So I don't necessarily think it's an alarm that he popped up on the injury report, but it's more of a reason why the Giants, as they've been doing throughout the course of the offseason, when he had the offseason procedure, is you got to be cautious in terms of how you handle a player like this. Well, as Dable said, we've got to see what he's going to be feeling like today. He is in full gear as we speak, and he was out there doing the receiver drills. How much more he does today is anybody's guess. Again, we don't have a window here in the studio, so I'm unable to ascertain Uh, until the injury report comes out this afternoon uh, as to how much he did, whether he was limited or whether he went in full. I I don't know the answer to that. But I think the important thing to mention is that Dable admitted yesterday at practice he did a lot of stuff, and then when, when they put him to the side, he still stayed outside. They didn't send him in. And you and I both know, Lance, it's never a good sign when a player gets shut down early in practice and then they send him inside. That's never good. The fact that he stayed out, all right, and he just they just said, oh, let's just go to the side here. That's actually a better sign than, than not. If they had sent him inside midway through practice, now you know, okay, it's time for the, uh, the stem or it's time for the magnetic... Uh, you know, therapy, or it's time for the whirlpool. We got to work on this guy right away because this this is something that's got to be dealt with. No, if if he just tightened up a bit and they just thought enough to tell him to go to the side, that's usually very minor. And so I am of the wait and see mentality here as opposed to Chicken Little screaming that the sky is falling. Well, and also when it comes to a hamstring situation, that literally can fluctuate day to day. One day you could feel great, right? The next day you come out all of a sudden there's more tightness or it's tender. So Tony, he could, whatever his classification may be when the injury report is released later today, they're going to test him out probably Sunday morning, obviously, before the game. And I think that's going to tell an awful lot with respect to his status for this game against the Panthers. Yeah, I would not. In fact, let's just make it clear. I would expect him to also be a game-time decision. Yeah, 
So a few guys right now in that gray area as we build up to Sunday's home opener. So let's delve into the game before we open up the dialogue. And this is a Carolina team that lost a heartbreaker to the Cleveland Browns. They stormed their way back. They were down 14-0 in the blink of an eye in this game because the first half was so sluggish. Then they take a late lead thanks to a field goal only to then have the Browns kick a 58-yard field goal with eight seconds left to suffer the heartbreaking loss. But the bottom line is the Panthers team, to me, Paul, that was functional from an offensive standpoint in the fourth quarter was very different than the ones we saw in the first three quarters. And I think that's a product of Baker still getting used to this offensive line as well as the new personnel. Remember, he was acquired in July, so he wasn't here for spring workouts. He's a little bit limited compared to other new quarterbacks within new schemes. And once again, it's a brand new offensive line. You've got Two guys they brought in free agency, one of which didn't even play last week. And then you have the rookie at left tackle in Iki Aquanu. So it's understandable against a good defensive front that Cleveland presents that there were going to be some ups and downs. But to me, the most appetizing aspect of this matchup is more on the defensive side of the ball and the fact that the Panthers struggled to stop the run. They had a lot of missed tackles. They could not slow down Nick Chubb. And now you're going up against a Giants offense that got stronger as the game progressed. And clearly Saquon Barkley had one of his his best performances in quite some time. Well, there's a lot to unpack there, Lance, but I'll just go to two points. Uh, the Browns last week had the second most effective running attack in the league next to what the Giants did to Tennessee. So, so that certainly does bode well. You mentioned Chubb ran for over 140 yards. And Cleveland held the ball for over 38 minutes. Well, Carolina, just real quick, was last in time of possession after all the games in week one. Well, there you go. Now, I think the other item to discuss here is the inexplicable game plan by the Panthers. And yes, I understand that they have rough going and so forth, but you just outlined all the reasons why, despite whatever you think about the Browns' defense, they needed to construct this offense around Christian McCaffrey like the Giants did around Saquon Barkley last weekend. It made absolutely no sense given all of the circumstances that you have outlined, why they would have had that game in Baker Mayfield's hands. But that's what they did, with McCaffrey getting only 10 rushes and four pass receptions. You and I talked to the Athletics uh, beat writer. It was a Joe Person. Is that yep. right for the huddle? Correct. And, and I flat out asked him, I mean, you got to figure McCaffrey's going to get 25 touches this week, right? And he goes, hey, man, I think he will, because it was inexplicable. And I, I think we would all shake our heads and say, how do you not run this offense through McCaffrey, especially given the circumstances on opening day with the new quarterback, the changes in the offensive line, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It made no sense. They played into the Browns' hands, and the Browns punished them for it. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Well, especially since, once again, Cleveland has some guys that could get after the quarterback, most notably Miles Garrett. Yeah, you I'm heard him? You. <laughs> uh, yeah, I believe I heard of him. Once in a blue moon, I heard of him. His name's been brought up in the dialogue. But getting back to your point, I'm with you. I mean, clearly you want McCaffrey, now that he's healthy, to be a centerpiece. I think, though, partially, Paul, the reason why also there weren't a lot of, you know, I like to use the baseball analogy at bats. Okay, you need possessions, you need at-bats in order to get the ball in the hands of your playmakers. They didn't have barely any at-bats in the first half. For example, their first five possessions, they had three three-and-outs, and then their other two possessions were only five plays. Now, you could argue, well, maybe if you give it to McCaffrey in some of the early downs, maybe you get in more favorable third downs, you continue your drive. Point well taken. I'm not going to disagree with you there. I just think it was a combination of maybe not giving him work on the early downs, but also just not having a lot of opportunities overall play-wise, mm -hmm. and that's why I think his workload was down compared to maybe what they had anticipated going in. Well, suffice it to say this week, they'll try to pump feed him the ball. <laughs> you would think they'd do a better job to get him yes. touches. Yes, I yes. think that's very fair. I think that's very fair, especially when you consider his ability in the passing game to exploit linebackers. And the Giants inside backers last week did not have a very good time covering Hilliard out of the backfield. 
Yeah. Well, and as you mentioned, see, to me, if you're Ben McAdoo, it's not just about giving McCaffrey 20 carries. It's about, to your point, you could give him seven, eight receptions. If you're giving him opportunities to get out in space, who cares if it's a three- or four-yard pass? It doesn't matter whether he runs with it or he catches it and then does damage after the catch. It's just you want to get the ball in his hands, and if you're Baker— and you're still testing the waters out with the offensive line, well, what's the best way to counter that and slow down the Giants? Get rid of the football. Don't even bother holding on to it to survey the field. Just dump it off to McCaffrey and let him do the heavy lifting. So I would think they're going to try to do that. And as you mentioned, what did you see on film if you're Ben McAdoo? You saw that when Tennessee got its running backs out in open space that they had a favorable matchup against the Giants linebackers. So, yeah, if we're talking about the game of chess, that to me would be an area that I would target if I'm Carolina on offense. I I am of the opinion, Lance, that the Giants might be much better off employing a third safety and pulling at least one of those linebackers off the field. Well, with Belton back this week, who knows? Uh, It just seems to me. And, and, And to be honest, my strategy would probably be to have that third safety spy McCaffrey uh, an awful lot. Because especially if you're going to use Belton, because Belton has barely practiced with this team, has not had a lot of time. He practiced last week in the red jersey. Okay, we know he hurt himself making an interception about a month ago during training camp and has had a lot of book work. He's been out on the field watching you know, standing behind the play as he watches what's going on, trying to pick up hints and idiosyncrasies of the game plan. But he hasn't really run a whole lot of plays, even in practice with this defense. So now if you say to him, look, Dane, we're going to put you on the field in a package. You may see 20 snaps, and your primary responsibility is going to be spy McCaffrey. Now that doesn't require a lot of game planning. You're not asking him to know the whole defense. You're not asking the other players on defense to know him. There's even not a lot of communication that has to happen there. If you just tell him, like in basketball, when you play a box and one, right? You just say to him, okay, that's your guy. You're a spy. You're a man-to-man guy. You follow him wherever he goes. That doesn't cause a lot of confusion. And I think it would be simplistic for him to be able to adapt to that kind of role right out of the box. Another player, just to keep in mind, that could Tony see Jefferson. Increase, yeah, Tony Jefferson, exactly. You, yeah. you took the name right out of my mouth because he only played 13 snaps in week one. And even though he knows Wink's scheme, he just arrived on the scene. He's getting used to new personnel. They're not running exactly what they did in Baltimore. It's possible this week, now that he has a little bit more time, with his new teammates, that maybe Jefferson's total increases. Not to say Belton won't be involved, but I would also look for a boost in Jefferson as well as the involvement of Belton. I think the combination there may take some of those other linebackers out of the equation, especially when you're going up against a running back who is the number one guy and is very different than Derrick Henry, meaning their number one is Dontrell Hilliard from a skill set perspective. I'm not saying that he and McCaffrey are equivalent, but he's got a very similar ability in catching the ball out of the backfield, being slippery, being elusive, much more so than Henry, who's a power north-south runner. So if you figure, all right, we're going to then utilize safeties on the field more often than not, then between Jefferson and Belton, I think you can overcome that issue. Because here's the other thing. The other guy that I would expect to get more touches while we're on the topic, Paul, is DJ Moore. Notice DJ Moore, he only had six targets, three receptions. And he, like McCaffrey, if you look at his numbers over the course of his career, he is fantastic in yak yardage after the catch. That's where he makes his money. So I'm sure they're going to try to maybe see if he can test the waters also out in open space. It's the two guys. It's Moore and McCaffrey. Those are the two players that if you're the Giants, you do not want them to run wild and get those explosive plays this week. Well, you know, last week, uh, outside of the Hilliard 31-yard touchdown catch where he was uh, getting free on the wheel route from, um, from Tay Crowder, the Giants did not allow a pass play of longer than 27 yards. So they did pretty well about covering things over the top. But it was that running back who got isolated against a backer that caused them, you know, to give up the real big play, which went for a touchdown. So once again, it just goes back to 
the strength of what the Panthers might be able to do against the soft underbelly of what is kind of the weakest part of the Giants' defense, and that is the interior linebackers covering the backs and potentially, potentially a guy like Moore who, if given time, if the Giants' pass rush does not affect Mayfield more than they affected Tannehill, uh, Mayfield can get it out there. I'm not a huge Mayfield fan, but he has a gun, oh, a cannon. Absolutely. Yeah. All right? And and don't think for a second that, you know, the gunslinger mentality that, that he possesses, that he won't wing it 40, 50 yards downfield. You know, if he gets a couple extra seconds there, he will take his shots. He is not afraid to do it. And DJ Moore is the kind of guy who runs routes well enough that he can break free and make a big play. So – those are the two things you have to be wary of if you're the Giants going into this game. On the other side, I think offensively, I don't think they should have much trouble moving the ball against Carolina. But I do worry about those two soft spots in the defense. And remember, Lance, a couple of years ago, Baker Mayfield came into MetLife Stadium during the pandemic and carved up the Giants like a loaf of bread. Yep. It was one of his finest moments as a pro where he was just deadly accurate and elusive in the pocket, and look like an all-world cornerback. I know you remember the game. Sure. Well, that was the game that, if you remember, Jason Garrett was dealing with COVID, so Freddie Kitchens took over as the play caller. That was a Sunday night game, yes. if memory serves me correctly. And Baker was yeah. incredible. He was having a clean pocket for the majority of the game, and we know when Baker is in an ideal circumstance, I mean, Greg, you can say this about a lot of quarterbacks, but specifically Baker, he's extremely efficient. I think what gets him off schedule like most guys, is when you fluster him, which is what Cleveland was able to do because they got penetration, they got pressure. The other thing that Leonard Williams brought up on a related topic was he felt that Baker drops back deeper than most quarterbacks, which I found interesting because normally defensive linemen don't like to reveal that type of stuff, especially during the week because maybe it gets back to the opposition. And something tells me that was a Wink Martindale observation that he's probably been emphasizing to the team because Wink was asked about this, and I brought this up in our conversation with Joe Person, which you can hear on the upcoming Giants Huddle podcast preview. The bottom line is Baker has familiarity with Wink, and Wink has familiarity with Baker. It goes both ways. Even Wink said that. So who has the advantage? That remains to be seen because I think from Baker's standpoint, he knows what Wink likes to do. The only difference is there's not the Baltimore personnel. And I thought Baker spoke to the media this week, Paul. One of the things that caught my attention that he said from what he observed in week one, and it's a small sample size, but I always like to hear the opposite perspective, he felt there not yet at the same trust factor that Wink had with the Ravens personnel. Why? Because those guys were together, <laughs> right, for four years. So meaning Wink is not doing the same level of aggressiveness yet at this point because he hasn't established that sample size, that chemistry. It's still a similar tone, and it's a similar wrinkle, but it's just the full playbook is not yet out there. That was at least Baker's mm -hmm. breakdown of what he took away from seeing the Giants' defense. The, the only thing I would add to that, uh, Lance, is that yesterday the Giants' defensive linemen were doing a drill that I don't remember seeing all summer, and I'm sure it's specifically because of Baker Mayfield's propensity to get passes batted down in his face. Yep. That's the other thing. Okay, uh, there were four batted passes by the front of the Browns in last weekend's game. And it looked as though, because it was from the far end of the field, that we were able to see the Giants D lineman running through a drill with assistant defensive line coach Brian Cox. They were using a volleyball. And, and what he did was he would tell the guys, okay, connect with the guy in front of you and then get your hands up. And then he would throw a volleyball up in front of them and ask them to jump up and bat the volleyball down. And I'm like, okay, that's a Mayfield drill. There is, there is no doubt about that. That is a Mayfield drill. So the Giants are, are doing their due diligence in emphasizing that their defensive linemen need to get their hands up. It's the same thing when you play Drew Brees 
all those years. Mm-hmm. Get your hands up, bat the balls down. He had some of the similar challenges that Baker has, and that may be one of the reasons why Baker does drop back a little bit deeper yes. to better survey the field, which is understandable why Leonard Williams picked up on that. And then also, sometimes the way to counter that, which is what I'm expecting the Panthers to do, is if you dump it off to the guys maybe on the side, you get them out in open space, you avoid those slim, narrow passing lanes where you're going to have to throw the ball into contention with those defensive linemen. So those are some of the key storylines, key matchups as we gear up for Sunday's home opener against Carolina. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. Quick reminder that the Giants official connected TV streaming app, Giants TV, brings original video content and game highlights on demand and direct to Big Blue fans. Giants TV is free on Apple TV, Roku, and Amazon Fire TV, as well as the Giants mobile app. Let's open the phone lines. We check in with Aiden in New Jersey. Aiden, welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live. What do you got for us? Hey, how's it going there? Doing all right. What's on your mind? Yeah, so I want to talk about Kane Galladay. Okay, and what specifically? uh, So, obviously, last year, he's our biggest free agent uh, signing. Gets all that money, and he's expected to be the wide receiver one. Obviously, he misses some time. Daniel Jones is in uh, we have Glennon and from at quarterback. He still he's not putting up the numbers he's expected. And then week one, uh, just this past week against Tennessee, he's only he only had two targets, two catches, and that's my concern. And I want to know what your your guys your thoughts are on this situation and him getting all this money and just not producing and what you expect going forward. All right, Aiden. Well, appreciate the phone call. Number one, the offense overall struggled last season. Yes, Kenny Galladay not getting a touchdown was a bit of a surprise even under the circumstances, but I don't think there's anyone that you walk away from last season and say, yep, I think they exceeded expectations. Production was exactly where you wanted it. I think you can hold that true, Paul, for the entire team. The second thing that I want to throw out, at least based on this season, and we talked about this a lot over the offseason, I didn't think, Paul, and I'm pretty sure you agreed with my sentiments, that this was going to be an offense where one guy like Kenny Galladay was going to be the go-to guy on a consistent basis. This is more of spread the wealth. One game, it could be Sterling. Another game, it could be Saquon. Then if Wondell Robinson's healthy, it could be his game. And then there may be a game where Kennedy Galladay goes off. But I think the way that this offense is structured, how Daniel Jones is going to try to get everybody involved— It's not one of those offenses where it's Cooper Cup getting targeted 15 times for the Rams and everybody else is a spectator and watches. I just, I don't think that's how things are going to play out here. Yeah, I think to backtrack a little bit, I've been on board all season with saying I think Galladay can have another one of his thousand yard seasons. But remember, with 17 games on the schedule, that only means 60 yards a game. And honestly, I don't think that's too much to ask from him. But. You and I and John and I believe Jeff also agreed that this is going to be an offense that's very diverse and on different weeks, different guys will be featured. It's going to be a matchup offense, just like it's a matchup defense. And so I think over the course of the season, there's not going to be one guy who has a huge lead in 100-yard receiving games over the others. I think you'll find a number of Giants receivers by the time we get to January who have had at least a 100-yard game, okay? Galladay's not going to have like seven or eight of them, and then nobody else is going to have more than two. I don't think it's going to be unbalanced like that at all. But I don't think it's too much to ask, even though he only caught two passes last week. And he only had two targets, though, in fairness, right? right? I mean, right. you got to get the ball your way. Right, no doubt. No doubt. I, I yeah. don't think it's unfair to expect that Galladay could wind up averaging 60 yards a game no, and gain 1,000 yards. And as their leading uh, leading receiving yardage player, I do think he will be their receiving yardage player. But I, I don't necessarily believe that he will have the most 100-yard games. Well, and that's why, once again, you're at the mercy of A, getting the football, which is going to be an indicator of his production, and B, staying healthy. C would be, can you consistently win your one-on-one battles? And in order to get some of that chunk yardage, they're also going to have to take some shots down the field to him in order maybe to get some of those big plays, to get him in that 60-yard 
department, which is what you're talking about, which he would need to average out to get to 1,000 yards. So that's why, once again, I think things are going to fluctuate. As far as the money, which the caller brought up, A, remember, the new regime did not sign him. That's number one. Number two, let's not get caught up in fantasy. I think in this day and age, guys who get paid, you think, well, they have to put up X amount of numbers to justify themselves from a fantasy perspective. I just, once again, I don't think the Giants offense is built around it's Stephon Diggs and everybody else. This is more of a true spread the wealth, sort of what the Packers, I think, are going to be this season. Not to get off topic, Paul, Devontae Adams is not there anymore, yeah. so it's going to be right a group of people and not one guy every single game that the opposing defenses need to say, okay, he's going to get 10 targets. We need to put more attention in his way. Yep, and with uh, Wondell Robinson uh, out this week, or at least it appears he'll be out this week, Darius Slayton may get his first activation too. And special teams played a role in last week given the fact that everybody was healthy but now this week with an injury it could very well open the door for Darius Slayton let's open up the phone lines once again at 201-939-4513 Abdul is in Minneapolis joining us here what's happening Abdul hey what's up so, Hi. Um, so um, the best and worst thing that's happened uh, recently was making the all 22 film available to the public <laughs> because now you have a bunch of guys who think they're, you know, on coaching staff and breaking down <laughs> players' um, players' games. And this leads me to, to, to Daniel Jones, okay? So you have a bunch of guys saying that he comes off players too quickly, he stares down people, blah, 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 blah. So <laughs> I, I watch some and I kind of see where they're coming from. So I was wondering, if that is true, I'm not saying it's true, but if that is true, that he's coming off players too fast and he's staring down people too much. Um, can a young player lose that habit? Because I think a lot of it might come from him. His timing's been thrown off because of his lack of protection. Can a player regain that confidence that he'll stand in there a little longer and um, and, 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 and just, just, just uh, <coughs> I'm sorry, guys. Uh, just stand in longer and, and stick a little more time in the pocket. That's my first question. Um, can you guys answer that? Well, and then what's the second one? Why don't you let us know the other aspect of what you were going to say? Uh, the second one, I called back last week, earlier this week, and I couldn't hear you guys. I'm not sure if you guys remember that. And I was talking about um, it was refreshing that the Giants coaching staff outcoached um, Vrabel and his coaching staff. And I think you guys wanted me to show an example. And I think um, Howard Cross kind of did. The fact that, you know, we're not talking about clock, clock mismanagement. We're talking about how they came out in the second half and, and, and made adjustments. And uh, it just, it, it, it might have been just, you know, just the way the game went. You know what I mean? But it just seemed like for the first time in a long time that, you know, Rabel was the one who uh, was doing that. He's the one who made that, the, the cute calls on the tight end uh, run, uh, end around and the, and the, uh, and the, um, the wildcat on third and one. Just, Little things that, that we didn't do. Like, you know, the one thing, you know, that we kind of got our own way, and I still, uh, I'm kind of getting it now that, that, uh, that, uh, Kadarius Tony didn't play. I think that's the one thing that a coach decision that actually put us in a bad situation because we need our best players on the field. But regardless of, besides that, Dable didn't do anything to hinder us, which is, uh, you know, and, you know, last year I, I couldn't say that. You know, there, there are a couple of, you know, head scratchers by Joe Judge. And, you know, before that, uh, uh, the guy we're playing against this week, um, I'm forgetting his name again. Uh, You're talking about Ben McAdoo. Yeah. Ben McAdoo and Shermer, you know. And, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're just a lot of these head scratchers where, you know, they, they became part of the story and it wasn't just the players. And it, and it seemed like it's refreshing. It's one game, of course, you know, and we, sure. you know. But it's, it's good to have that one game because we haven't had, you know what I mean? So, yeah. I guess those are my points. So it's Daniel Jones. All right. So take care, guys. Thanks. Yeah, appreciate the phone call. Well, you never want those things to come back to bite you, especially the cumulative over the course of the season, whether it be time management, whether it be some of the little things. For example, I mean, not to get off topic, and I understand that a lot of you tuning in or living in the Giants bubble, but the Denver Broncos, they played the Seahawks on Monday night, and you had a fourth and five 
with Russell Wilson as your quarterback, and instead they elected to go for a 64-yard field goal with Brandon McManus, coincidentally a former Giant. So that was something that Nathaniel Hackett, the head coach of the Broncos, revisited the day after and said, well, you know, maybe I should have gone for it on fourth and five, given how things panned out. So, yeah, those are things that coaches, you know, can stay up very late, Paul, rethinking, especially <laughs> in a league where most games are decided by small margins, and when you add up the wins and the losses at the end of the season, sometimes that one game in week one could very well be the difference between you being on the outside or the inside of the playoff picture. So, yeah, I don't think that the Giants had any hiccups. I think it was relatively smooth sailing, and that's a good sign considering it's a new coaching staff and some guys at different roles calling plays and Mike Kafka being upstairs and all of that. But as far as the point about Vrabel, we don't know whether Vrabel was the one dictating that or Todd Downing, their offensive coordinator, with respect to their third and one calls. I mean, I'm sure Vrabel oversaw the plays and said, okay, if we're in this situation, we could go for it. But who ultimately has the green light to say, okay, let's use this play on a third and one. Unless you're obviously on the headset, it's hard to determine whether or not that was the head coach or the offensive coordinator in that standpoint. Yeah, you, you, you just don't know how their operation works. So in pointing the finger, the only thing I would say is I do totally agree, and I'm not afraid to say it. I do think the Giants coaching staff outcoached the Titans on Sunday, and I do think that was part of the reason why the Giants won the game. And it was really cool for the first time in a long time to be able to say that. I just, I, I really was very impressed with how Dable, Kafka, and Wink Martindale decided to call that game. Philosophically, I understood what their game plan was. I saw how they deployed their players. Um, I had no problem with Tony getting seven snaps, understanding he'd only had a handful of full practices, and that Richie James who basically took most of those snaps because he was at 70% for the game, he produced, he did what he needed to do. And by the way, because he'd been here the whole offseason, he knows the playbook like the back of his hand. And the Giants are trying to come from behind in the second half. The last thing in the world you need is for a receiver out there who makes a mental mistake, runs the wrong route, does the wrong play, and now you've butchered your opportunity to come back and win the game. You're going to go with the guys at that point in time who you know will not make a mental mistake because they know the playbook. It's been embedded into their brain for the last month or nine months, I should say. So, you know, to, to those folks who continue to read the comic books and want to make a controversy out of, out of Tony playing seven snaps, well, you know, there's a job at Marvel or DC for you because, <laughs> you know, sound football says – Richie James deserved the snaps that he got, and he made the most of them. Yeah. And, and, and by the way, the Giants did believe that Tony's skill set was unique enough that when they did have a chance on their final game-winning drive, they put him in the game, and they gave him the ball, and they asked him to, to run a wide receiver option. He was going to throw it to Sills in the right seam for a touchdown. But because the pressure had gotten there so quickly, he did the right thing, ate the ball, and ran for a four-yard gain. So the thought that the coaching staff has lost confidence in Tony or that they're punishing him because he's not able to get on the field as much is a bunch of malarkey. There it was, game-winning drive. It's all on the line, and they put him in there to run a gadget play, which shows you the value that they believe he brings to this team. And he made the right play, didn't force it, was smart. And it all worked out in the end for the Giants. Uh, so you know, again, go back to the comic books if you want to. If you want to start controversies, for an individual that didn't play a lot, I thought he made the most of his time too, which is also important to note. It's not necessarily the volume; it's what do you do with whatever your opportunities were. So I think that says a lot about Tony's mindset within the game. But here's the other thing: it's one game. Why don't we see how the next few games play out? Why don't we see what his snap count is, how he's utilized, and whether or not other wide receivers also snap counts fluctuate? Because similar to the defensive philosophy, which is going to be different based on the opponent, 
offense to me is going to be very similar. So, you know, let's see a few more games before we jump to conclusions that Tony also is only going to be in X amount of snaps per game. I think, once again, you need to really see a full quarter of the season, first four to five games, before you maybe get a better feel or a better idea of what the coaching staff is thinking. Final thought on that, Lance. Go back to what Dable said this morning, okay? Um, Whatever the reason may be, whether it's because of a lack of practice time or physical ailments that trainers limit a guy on, if they've got a smaller sub-package for the player and they believe he can run those plays, and obviously they felt Tony was the right guy for that gadget play, well, then he's going to be in there. And isn't that, honestly, the most important facet of coaching? Use what you have, what is available to you, in the best way possible. And that's what they believed on Sunday was the best way to get something out of Tony. And and they did. They got something out of him. So, I mean, let, let's let's just let's praise the coach instead of starting a starting a fire here, which is does not exist. The other point real quickly before we move on was about Daniel Jones and his pocket presence and you know, whether or not that's something that can improve upon moving forward in his career, or can you adjust that based on coaching? And I don't think that's necessarily on an island with respect to that facet of his skill set in comparison to anything else. I mean, remember, like we're talking about Tony, Daniel Jones also, before we put him under the microscope to the nth degree, you know, this is his first game in a new offense with some new offensive line members and some new playmakers around him that he really didn't have much time on the field even under the old regime. So he's going to also need some time to get more and more comfortable based on what they're running game to game. So just like we're talking about Tony and his snap counts, there's only so much you can take away from Daniel Jones's thinking and his decision-making as well after one game. I agree with you, Lance, and I'll just finish it up before the next call by saying this. Daniel Jones took a step in the right direction in week one, and that's it. You don't have to go any further with your evaluation or your grade. He took a step in the right direction. And if he keeps doing it, good things will happen for him and the team. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Let's head back to the line. Scott is in New Mexico joining us here on BBKL. What's happening, Scott? Hi, guys. How are you doing today? Doing all right. Uh, I think both of you have really, this is one of the more accurate descriptions of the Giants that I've heard in regards to what you've said today. And the word I would use is adaptive. Uh, no matter who's out of the game, the Giants seem to find a way to have players that can play the positions and play them uniquely. For all the bluster and pontificating about Tennessee, they scored only 20 points. And this is with a lot of their players, their good players, out. In regards to Dane Belton, I hope he's fully engaged because I watched him at Iowa, and if you watch his tapes, he is an extraordinary athlete. And I'm wondering if, if Julian Love will get at some point replaced and play the corner position and they will use uh, McKinney and Belton if he's healthy as as the two substantial safeties and then bring Severson in as you were describing earlier because I think that would make the Giants a little bit more complete but uh, your points were really well taken uh, by me anyways in regards to this being a very adaptive team it doesn't matter they're sort of assimilating to the to the offense and the defense that they're playing that week, which, which uh, in my opinion, makes them much more of, of a uh, prominent team. And also, I have no doubt they're going to win this game on Sunday, uh, basically because of the defense that they employ with, with Martindale. Scott, in short, for years I've been calling the Patriots, and I, I talk all the time about the Belichickian qualities they have, right. and, I, and I call them the chameleon type of team because they have a chameleon defense and a chameleon offense. Correct. And, and in all honesty, uh, I think what we're starting to see is some smoke that indicates the Giants could very much be a chameleon type of team as well. It's a little early. It's a little early 
to say that for sure, but we're seeing some characteristics that smell of that. I don't think it's early, to be honest with you, Paul. I think uh, this they're showing, at least in the first game, and I think they'll show it in the second game, how uh, unique they are in the sense that they can miss players and still play a very coordinated kind of I'll tell you what, Scott. Defense. You can call us back and tell me that if they're successful in containing McCaffrey and Mayfield on Sunday. Right now, I know what they want to do. I know how they can do it. I, I think there's a good plan for it. But if it doesn't work and Mayfield and or McCaffrey burn them and hand them a loss on Sunday, well, then that, that means that they're not quite as successful well, yes, as being chameleon as we think. happening for a lot of reasons. Okay. okay. And, uh, there are players on the Giants' defense like Taman Fox that will get more playing time. He was around the ball a lot, even though he didn't make all the tackles, but he was in the area. Yeah. I could see him coming in and playing a little bit more of a unique role for the Giants. They have more than people suspect, and that's the uniqueness of the team. But I want to bring up a point also about Katerius Tony, uh, and it may strike people the wrong way. I look at him as the Allen Iverson of the NFL. I don't actually believe that he had injuries. Uh, I believe he just doesn't want to practice, and I don't think he's put together that unless you get practice time, you're not going to get as many plays uh, because you're not fitting into the uh, operation mode of what Kafka wants to do. And the thing that's galling me the most is he's such a unique talent. When he came out of Florida, he was one step below Kyle Pitts, according to everybody. And everybody was equating him with Debo Samuel as that kind of athlete. And what calls me the most is I think he's just a head case. And I don't know how long the Giants are going to tolerate it. But I wanted to get yours and Lance's opinion in regards to what I'm saying, because obviously he was not on the injury report, suddenly develops a hamstring Yeah, but Scott, in fairness, I mean, I mean to cut you off, that does happen. We see players pop up on the injury report. Sometimes they aggravate something at practice on a Wednesday, and they were fine coming into the week. So to me, that's not a red flag. I mean, if you want to talk about what you've seen out of him over the course of his tenure with the Giants, that's one thing. But to be alarmed or say that's a bad habit because he popped up on the injury report, I've seen that tons of times where more prolific guys who have great work ethics and are not even questioned to the degree that you're taking it, they sometimes appear on the injury report at the last second. Okay, but do you, Lance, feel uh, that his lack of playing practice time is legitimate? Because I'm getting the sense it's not. And I'm not questioning what you're saying, uh, but it strikes me as something he has to fit into this offense. He's an important part. I'm going to make this really, really simple for you, okay? The coaches would know if that was true because of the GPS devices that the trainers and the medical staff have on these guys. If he physically is not able to ball out at 100% of his measurements, they know that. The electronic devices scientifically tell you that. So if, if he's truly dogging it during practice, as or as you suggest, the trainers would know that because of what they could read on the results and the data. And then they would tell the coaching staff, and I'm sure the coaching staff would act appropriately. Now, I have not heard any whiffs of, of those things happening. So my answer to you is, I believe that you're, you're misunderstanding the situation and that you're way off. But, okay. but, but having, having not access to the GPS stuff, I sure. cannot say that with certainty. But I okay. don't believe you're correct. Here's the other thing, Scott, and I don't necessarily get the read that he's exactly under the label you're talking about. I will say this. There are some guys, they're not great practice players in general, and then they show up in games and they produce. But here's the thing. If Tony, to your point, okay, let's go down your hypothetical road. You don't think he's putting it all in in practice. Then to me, if I was of that player's mindset, then that means that I would be an all-out gamer during games. And if you go back to last season – There were games where he started, could not finish, and then there were games where he was in and out. So I would, if you're preserving yourself from a health standpoint, you have to make up for it and then some in games. I was not seeing that necessarily last season. I understand there's a new coaching staff, but that's more of a reason why I just don't buy that being his mindset. Okay. The last question I'll have, and I'll take it off the air. Um, With Daniel Jones, 
the fact that he's not getting enough um, reps with Tony, and uh, whether it be practice or not, does that influence what uh, Kafka is going to do on the field sure in regards does. to? Yeah. And and also uh, the last the caller before was saying that uh, Galladay uh, was not earning his keep, so to speak. I'll just put it that way. I don't believe that aspect because I think the Giants' offense is as, as adaptive as the Giants' defense because of who thought Richie James would be who he is. But they seem to be working well together. So how difficult is the job Kafka has week to week with, with having the receivers work with Daniel Jones? And I'll take your questions off the air, guys. Thanks again. All right, Scott. Appreciate the phone call. You hear coaches talk all the time. If a guy doesn't practice and he's relatively new to the offense or they haven't gotten much work in with the quarterback, you know, they're going to be leery of then putting those plays in during the course of a game. You know, Just like they ran that two-point conversion play against Tennessee, that was something they ran in practice. So they felt good about the situation and Barkley and Daniel Jones being on the same page and therefore – you dig deep into your bag of tricks and you say, okay, this scenario calls for it. If you've run one or two opportunities on a play which involves Daniel Jones and Kadarius Tony, and he doesn't practice for the bulk of the week, you may then, Paul, wind up saying, all right, hey, we're going to put it on the back burner and we'll utilize it maybe in week five, week six, when we get more work done during the course of practice. I think it's extremely risky for any player at any level unless Daniel Jones and this player had so much chemistry over previous years, mm -hmm. which is not the case because clearly it's now a new offense, that maybe you say, okay, there's enough of a track record between the two guys, we'll throw it out there. But anything short of that, no. I don't see why you'd want to gamble and why you'd want to roll the dice under those circumstances. Look at it this way. It would be an injustice to the entire team if Mike Kafka called a play for a specific player who he did not have full confidence in to know the play and trust that he was the best guy to make that play happen. That would be an injustice. That would, would be make wrong. No sense. It would make absolutely no sense. Okay? So when you consider how smart Richie James is and how much practice time he's had with Jones during the course of the season, in all honesty... It should not have surprised people that he wound up playing 70% of the snaps, especially after Wondell Robinson went down early with the knee injury. That should not be a shock. Remember, Richie James is in this league, what, three years now, Lance? Yeah, because he, he got hurt last year, but he was in here, I think, since 2018, I want to so, say. So, I mean, he's so. a veteran, and, and they obviously trusted him to play 70% of the snaps. And he made plays, too. Yes, he did. I mean, so he gave them a reason to justify I mean, keeping what, him. What I laugh about is there's all this 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 criticism over Tony's seven snaps, and nobody's recognizing the fact that how about the Giants get credit for getting something out of Richie James, who, by the way, I guarantee you 99% of the public didn't even think he was going to make the team. Well, because once again, he was injury prone and also he was mainly a return guy during the course of his tenure with the Niners. And I looked it up. I was right. He 2018 was year number one. So three full seasons. And then he was hurt in 2021. Right. And now this is his fourth season, fifth year in the league, if you want to classify it that way. But yeah, he had six targets. He made five catches. He had and the one he, drop, by the way, which was the only drop the Giants Correct. So basically had. he had and his it would hands have been on a third all six down balls. Conversion too. Yeah, because he rolled around and then lost control of yep. the ball and the defender got tied up with him a little bit too. But the point is he had six throws his way. He got his hands on all six balls. I think that's a fair characterization. He didn't catch all of them, but he seemed to have good chemistry with Daniel Jones. He got and, open. Yeah, exactly. He made plays, which is what you want to see out of guys on the <laughs> gee, depth chart, right? Gee, this is what a horrible thing the Giants did. Kadarius Tony only played seven plays, but the guy who got a lot of plays got open, got targets, and made catches. What a horrible thing that is. Which, by the way, Paul, has been an issue in previous years when we talk about the depth, right, of the roster and a, B, and C is out, you're saying, okay, who's going to step up? And we talk about all of the different options, and then those guys don't necessarily make plays. So here's an example. Richie James took advantage of his additional snaps compared to really at any point in his career going back to the Niners, and he came through. So, of course, that's going to be encouraging for him, as well as it's going to give reason for the coaching staff to say, 
well, we can ease Tony in. We don't have to necessarily rush him back because we believe James can step in, run those plays. We've seen it in practice. We've seen it in games. And we're going to give him the green light. Here's another thing that I want to bring up, Paul, which is related to what we're talking about with what you see out of practice and whether or not you have confidence in calling it in a game. Brian Dable has talked a lot about the conversations he's had with Daniel Jones, as most coaches have had similar conversations where you go over plays during practice and then after practice you watch the film and then you want to hear from the quarterback, did you like that play? Do you feel comfortable? And maybe a quarterback could be like, you know what, I like that play, but we need some more work or I don't really love this play. And then Dable will tell you why they're running it or why they want to utilize it so maybe the quarterback better understands it. But the bottom line is if you only have one or two weeks of practice and the quarterback is giving you feedback and he's telling you, I don't love these three plays, do you think at crunch time it's smart from a coaching standpoint to then call one of the three uncomfortable plays that your quarterback told you that week he still needs maybe a little bit more work. So it's no different than if a player doesn't get a lot of practice time and a lot of reps, then therefore maybe you hold back and you don't rush to implement that. Because once again, they have a very big playbook. Nobody says, Paul, and no team ever wants to do this. You're not going to utilize your entire playbook and leave it out to dry for the rest of the league to see after one week. There's going to be other wrinkles that are going to come up as the season progresses, and it's no different between the communication of the coaching staff and the quarterback as well as the coaching staff and the personnel around the quarterback. The mindset, to me, is right in the same wavelength. Final thought on this, Lance, along the similar lines of what we're talking about, how it's up to the coaching staff to maximize the percentage chance of success on a particular play which obviously involves the playbook, also involves the trust in the players who are running it, but it also involves simply playing to the strengths of the players' abilities. And why do you think on the 12-play 73-yard drive that won the game, there was no platooning at left guard? Joshua Azudu was the left guard, and they ran the ball nine times out of 12. Why do you think that was? Because Joshua Azudu even today, as a rookie, is a much better run blocker than Ben Bredesen. And the Giants, regardless of whatever rotation they used during the course of the day where the guys basically split the snaps for the afternoon, it was a Zudu who was in on the final drive because they knew we're going to run the ball down their throats and that's the guy who's going to help us do it. The other thing that I would add to that is also why did they feature Saquon Barkley on the final drive? I think that falls right in line no with doubt. what you're talking about. Absolutely. Right? You're going to give the ball to your best playmaker within the confines of that game, meaning Saquon up to that point proved he's effective, he's got good change of direction, he's made big plays. Why are we now going to take the ball away from him, continue to feature him, especially after you had a golden opportunity in the red zone, you went to the air, it didn't necessarily work out, so let's go back to what has worked effectively, the rushing attack. No different philosophy from that standpoint. Before we close up shop, Paul, I want to bring up special teams because that's the one area that we did not talk about, and I think there was... A little bit of good, bad, and everything in between from the Giants' perspective. Thomas McGahey spoke to the media the other day. He talked about Jamie Gillen, and he mentioned that probably that contributed to the muff punt by Kyle Phillips. The fact that he's a left-footed punter, the spin is different. Phillips is a rookie, may not have been exposed to that. Also, Matt Breida's presence running down the right sideline, fighting off a double team may have given Phillips a little bit more to think about. So that I thought was interesting. You want to see how other return men respond to Jamie Gillen. Now, they're going to go up against two relatively young returners again this week because Andre Roberts is out, the veteran for the Panthers. He was placed on IR. Shai Smith and Chuba Hubbard are both second-year players and also you know, have not necessarily had an overwhelming amount of experience. You wonder... Do they learn from what Kyle Phillips dealt with last week because of the spin and the different rotation from the left-footed punter? I don't think that uh, we should underestimate the value of uh, what Gillen's punts did for them the other day. Uh, Panak, of course, had the recovered muff. Yep. He, he is nicked up a bit right now. Don't know about his status for the game. But, uh, yeah, I, I think McLeod, who was the special teams player of the week for the Giants, had two special teams tackles and forced four fair catches. 
Uh, doesn't look very good for him right now. He's another one that got banged up. And yeah. that would be a shame because I'm, I'm really excited after what I saw last week from him as a gunner. And I would love to see him and, uh, and uh, Gillen get a chance to work more together. Because that makes a difference. Just like Richie James's returns, all of a sudden you gain a little bit more flexibility in terms of your starting drive positioning. You alleviate, you take some pressure off of the offense. And then the last thing also you want to do is they gave up the big return to Kyle Phillips, okay, before the muff punt, which helped set up their early touchdown. If Carolina got off to a sluggish start last week against Cleveland, what's the best way to help the offense if the special teams comes through and gives them some favorable field position. So if you're losing some of these gunners, that's going to be an area to focus on. It, it seems to be the overlooked facet, the stepchild of football more often than not. But when, Paul, we're talking about two teams that had games decided by last-second field goals. And I'm not even saying it just because it was in the hands of the kicker. The point is, everything gets magnified earlier in the game when all of a sudden it's coming down to the wire. So I would not overlook the impact of special teams coming back here in week number two against Carolina. I would not dispute that at all, especially if this game does become a offensive-oriented affair where the yeah. Giants are moving the ball up and down the field, the Panthers take advantage of those Achilles on the Giants' defense. All of a sudden, this could be a little bit more of a track meet than what you saw last week. Which means you start all of a sudden at better field position. Mm -hmm. and once again, mm -hmm. you don't have to now put together an 80-yard drive That's or a 70-yard right. drive, and that could be the ultimate difference Shorten the field, Lance. in a game. Correct. That's a little bit more of the back-and-forth mentality. All right, that is going to wrap up things for us here on Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We are back up and running on Monday at 12.30 p.m. Eastern. But before that, we obviously have our pregame festivities Sunday at MetLife Stadium. We'll be out at the MetLife Gate, getting you set for everything leading up to this contest. We'll be on the air at 11.30 a.m. Eastern on WFAN. You can also listen on Giants.com. And, by the way, SiriusXM now has a dedicated channel for every NFL team. So the Giants have their own team channel, 8.23, and you can listen to the pregame and the postgame on that SiriusXM channel. That is new this season. With that being said, we want to thank everybody for listening to today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live, part of the Giants platforms everywhere, and Giants.com slash podcast. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadows. Stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest, and we'll speak to you on Sunday, week two, Giants hosting the Panthers in the regular season home opener. Have a good one. You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this. It might surprise you that we're top 10 for immersive art that's like. Whoa. And hmm. not to mention, we have one of the top zoos in the country. So can a city with the country's best pro soccer team, ranking as a top culinary destination in the world, be in your own backyard? Yes, Columbus. Plan your summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash summer. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.